Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it's a great privilege to be able to connect with you in this way on this Wednesday in the some almost in the middle of March now. Can you believe it? And just a week away from our virtual seminar for the spring. Ah, wow, it's hard to imagine. I mean, it, it really is hard to imagine. It's been a year since the, um, the footprint of COVID has tried to suppress the American people and the world. That's hard to figure too, but God is good and he has watched over us. He has preserved us. We have been through many struggles throughout this past year. But the Lord has delivered us out of them all, and we're stronger and better than we were a year ago at this time. I am praying, as I know you are, for what is ahead, that we would have direction, and that we would have the, um, the pneumatikos, Issachar-like wisdom from God to know what he would say we should do and what we should not do. And I think right now is still a time of preparation for all of us. It's a time of assessment. And it's a time where the Spirit is attempting to cause our <clears throat> hearts to be galvanized by the counsel of the Spirit of God. And boy, aren't there a lot of voices trying to determine what our hearts should believe. That's kind of what we want to talk about today. And one of the main factors that's going on in the spirit realm that we may not have considered. You see, let me just state this as a preface, and then we'll get right into the Word of God. The glory of God is truly that measure of opportunity to partner with God as his representative concerning something that he's wanting to do that has not been done before. We've studied this from the Old Testament going into the New. Too many people around the world think of the glory of God as goosebumps in his presence or being slain in the spirit or being knocked out. Those are wonderful things when they're legitimate. And who can stand when God decides that he's going to impact the realm with his presence. Only those that have been girded up by him, and even at times, those folks are overwhelmed because that's just the way God is. But the glory of God is not, hear me, is not simply a reaction of manifestation. You know, too many people um, misuse the term, and instead of using the presence of God, they say the glory. Instead of talking about the manifestation of some form of his kingdom, they talk about his glory. And so, in Europe particularly, it seemed like any time there was a conference, if people would speak about the glory of God, that meant Oh, come and feel what God's going to do. Come and 
be uh, overwhelmed by some efficacy of uh, a fiery speaker or, or some kind of manifestations. I understand that, but we cannot begin to define God's terms through the lens of our experience, because when we do that, everything becomes subjective and you can't rely on anything. And when you start in math or in English or in any other study of linguistics, if you start putting your opinion in uh, instead of what the established rules of order are, you're going to have problems. And, you know, it's one of the greatest errors that I hear nowadays. I heard about the state of Oregon trying to adjust what is required in math studies, that there is not always just one right answer. Well, when you're figuring your checking account, and the bank tells you, oh, you just have this much money instead of what you think you did. Well, no, 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 I did the math. Well, see, you, you're, you're using antiquated uh, uh, racial preference uh, math. I mean, there's more than one answer. We've got the right answer. You have less money. You, you would suddenly come to grips with the laws of math. Um, whenever we start saying, oh, we change the names, you know, a couple of years ago, people started using truth, the term truth, to describe whatever people are feeling. It's their truth. <laughs> you, you try that if the police pull you over for breaking the speed limit. Yeah, I saw that number, but my number is really this. Uh-uh, no, this is the number. 55 miles an hour is the speed limit. Oh, but no, no, for me, uh, you know, I, I was... Uh, born and raised with Sammy Hagar's I can't drive 55. And so my feeling is that I can go as fast as I want because I have a predisposed problem to driving 55. You don't understand the suffering I've been through when I've had to go. And, and who made that rule anyway? I bet it was a bunch of old, well, I won't say what color. I bet it was them. They're holding me back. You see, you get in trouble when you start subjectivizing things. And subsequently, that's what's been happening a lot with modernist or progressive interpretations of Scripture. Anything they don't like, they try to recast. And then they, they accuse people who are more uh, um, originalists as being any number of things. Narcissists, that's a big thing. I remember a few years ago, we had a guest speaker who basically, I mean, I counted the times this person said that we were narcissists. And it, with every one, it was like I was standing there getting punched in the face. And I thought, there's something wrong with that. You know, it, it is not narcissist to hold fast to what God says. I mean, you stand before the judgment seat of God and you start saying that his laws are narcissist. You're going to have a lot of time in a very hot place to consider that argument. But only one idea is going to last, and that's what God says. And you can call him a narcissist if you want. You see, that's another thing. People try to cast God as just some marshmallow, that he's really a mix of the Virgin Mary and Aunt, uh, Aunt Ethel. And uh, you go over to her house, you can do whatever you want because she loves you. You can bust a window. You can eat chocolate all night long. You know, you can drink a whole case of Mountain Dew if you want to because that's a real sign of love. 
Well, that's a sign of idiocy, and Aunt Ethel should know better. But God is that way. He sent his son, whoever that might be. He's cosmic. He's everywhere. So anybody, whoever who you are, you can do whatever you want to do, and you're, you're going right to heaven. There's no accountability. You see, when you paint God in that way, then the idea of a progressive doctrine is all the more appealing because you can then say, well, God said this in his word, but he really didn't mean that. He means this because, after all, God is love. So he's going to let anything go on. So he can't mean, you know, the straight, the straight and narrow way is really the thing that, you know, we've got the idea that God is love. I mean, and, and we're the only ones that have it. So that's the straight way. And the, the wide way is all these other people who say God's going to judge you at the end. See how crazy that is? But that's what's being taught. So when we talk about the glory, we need to be very careful that we interpret what that is by virtue of scriptural examples. And in our world today, I know... And the saints know that God is about to manifest his glory upon this world in a way that has, according to his timetable, not been afforded until this time. And, you know, you could say, well, you know, uh, there, there's no new thing under the sun. Well, God was always doing new things. I mean, and only God could do new things without contradicting the old things. Um, but the glory is partnering with God in something that he's wanting to do that he's not revealed yet. And the glory is about to come. Now, we have an opponent in the, the enemy realm to the glory of God. Now, Satan hates the glory of God because that involves partnership with mankind, which was what the enemy, from the first time he heard it, according to the words of Jesus, the enemy was a man killer, and he decided he was going to deceive and lie. So you see that. But the God of this world, which Paul talks about, you know, in the New Testament, the prince of this world and the God of this world, it's the same entity, and it's not a euphemism. It's not a nom de voyage for Satan. It's an entity that was created by God that rebelled with Satan. So the God of this world is the, uh, the sworn opponent to the glory of God. Why is that? Because the God of this world is, was a creature that was, was created by God to establish a norm of how God moved around the world. And really, not, not only around the earth, but throughout, uh, throughout the world. You had that entity and Beelzebub who manages the, the pockets of demons and um, manages uh, the, uh, the apportionment in a limited supply that the enemy has. The enemy doesn't have an unlimited supply, so he has to manage things. Much like, now I don't want to bring this up, but I am. You know, if you study the Civil War, you see uh, the North having an endless supply, seemingly, of troops that were coming off the boats from Ireland. And you had um, 
you had uh, mills that were churning out supplies. The South didn't have that. So the South had to forage and more than the Northern armies did. And they had to, to do a lot more um, managing of their resources. There was one time when it said, and I'm using this guy just as a person of history, and I, my ancestors all fought for the North, even though I live in the South. So I don't have, you know, I don't have any affinity for the lost cause. But one time Nathan Bedford Forrest kept marching his troops around in a circle and kicking up a lot of dust and even had fake cannonade being presented so that the Union forces could see with their, uh, you know, with their... Uh, their looking devices, and he he convinced the the Union forces that he had a much larger army than what he really had, and it worked. Uh, you know, Stonewall Jackson had the ability to hit and run, to hit and run, and to seemingly be everywhere, but he was just hitting at the weak places, very much like what the enemy does. And so, uh, but the God of this world really tries to discourage anyone from partnering with the glory of God because that means real damage to the enemy holdings. If you have, um, if you have God giving to his champions, his sons, uh, an insight or a word or uh, a commission to debut something, and it's legitimate from God, that's going to do real damage to the kingdom of darkness. And so you see that the glory of God is, is really the operative measure of not just partnering with God, but seeing his hand move in power in a timely way through his sons who have submitted themselves and yielded to his timing and allowed the spirit to prepare them for that measure of partnership that God is wanting to unveil in his suddenly or in his timing. We're in that mode right now. But on the opposite end, you have the enemy who is really ramping up the efficacy of the God of this world. And I don't remember there being a time as a student of history where the entire world, I mean the entire world, is interconnected in the way that the world is today and the group speak that's going on is is really universal <laughs> it's crazy and this is the god of this world in operation god is allowing it but it's uh, it's really the manifestation of it and and the the crux of it all is the potential of the glory of God. Let's read in John chapter 12, um, beginning at verse 37. And we'll read John 12, 37 through 43. And we'll also reference some other scriptures. Uh, but for, for now, let's just read this. But though he, Jesus, had done so many miracles before them, yet they did not believe on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke, 
Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. See, you see, cancel culture was just for today? No, no, there it was back there. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Two things happening here. And, you know, it is kind of interesting because John in the gospel, and I'm not saying this is not anointed, hear me, but in some ways he editorializes. He, he does some splaining. I think that's still safe to say Ricky Ricardo said that. He, you know, he, he, he explains things. And here he says two things from Isaiah. Number one, Jesus is doing things that should be used to draw people to God, but there were some who um, who decided that they were not going to accept this, uh, and subsequently God allowed their hearts to be hardened and that they would be blinded. And it also says that Isaiah came up with this understanding when he saw the glory of God. That's very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting to me. And it's in the Bible, so you have to consider this as being true. See, I never really assessed, just in my thinking, that when Isaiah spoke, who hath believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, I didn't necessarily assess that as being connected with what happened earlier in Isaiah when he saw the Lord and the train filled the temple and um, that uh, the coal from the altar touched the lips and the here am I, send me, you know, in the year that King Uzziah died. I never, I never gleaned the fact that that experience created Isaiah's assessment of people who would would either believe the report and the arm of the Lord being revealed and the, um, the potential to either believe God or to be hardened and blinded. But nevertheless, there it is. So that brings up a topic. And, and again, we're going we're gonna to touch back on the glory. So I'm not like one of those preachers that takes one verse and then spins a whole web out of it. I mean, even though you could do that, we want the, uh, the, the plenteousness of Scripture to, to address this. But let's consider this topic now. What, God hardened and God blinded because they rejected the glory? Um, that's an interesting thing. Is God that hard-hearted? 
Or is there some spiritual principle that said you had a choice and when you encountered my glory, you either go this way or that way. It's your choice. But if you choose the way of rejection, you're going to be hardened and you're going to face a measure of blinding. We think back to the Old Testament principle uh, where, um, for instance, we preached on this a long time ago, when Aaron tossed down his rod and it became a snake and consumed the snakes, uh, the vipers of the uh, magicians of Egypt, Pharaoh saw that and his heart was hardened, hazak. And that word means that he seized upon something. He grasped it. In other words, he chose which direction he was going to allow himself to go based upon what he had seen. In, in the next verses, God comes back and says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. There it is in English again, but this time it is kabed, which is a weightiness that is a descriptive of the heaviness of the kabod, the glory of God. So we see a process there. We see God demonstrating a sign of Moses' message, and we see Pharaoh choosing which assessment he wants to make regarding what's actually going on there. It's obvious that Aaron's rod consumed, that the rod consumed the powers of, of the Egyptian magicians. But for some people, haven't we seen this in the past year? Huh. They can see something happening and totally deny what happened and present their own truth, which makes no sense at all. I could give dozens of examples of this. You could too, couldn't you? But um, that's what Pharaoh did. And subsequently then, the weightiness of the moment caused his heart or his assess, not, his, not only his assessment, what, but, but what he determined he was going to do you know, which direction he was going to go, because that's what the heart does. It's the steering wheel of the life. He, he, he suggested that he was going to, in the, in the weightiness of that moment, go a different direction. God didn't make his heart hardened. Pharaoh chose, and the result to denying of divine visitation was that this would happen to him. You see, so you could say that God hardened his heart because of the principles of, of, of divine impartation of the glory, but God wanted him to turn. I mean, God came to him a number of times, to Pharaoh a number of times, and Pharaoh just kept saying no. Now, it's interesting, too, that this kabed is used to describe Moses. At one point, 
Moses' arms became wearied when they were fighting the Amalekites. Remember, he was up on the top of the hill and uh, his arms became wearied and it used that word kabed to describe it. But another one was that when he was talking to God about going into Egypt, he said that he was slow of speech. And that word slow is kabed. Now, most people have interpreted that as meaning that, you know, Moses stammered in some way. I've often wondered about that because Moses didn't seem to have a stammering problem in a lot of other times where he was very eloquent in what he was saying. You know, the second time at the rock when he railed off on those rebels, uh, he wasn't stammering. He wasn't doing a Mel Tillis imitation. You know, I think sometimes we think Moses came down off the mountain and uh, he had the commandments. And uh, here he was going to speak uh, what those were. And he became like Porky Pig at the end of uh, Warner Brothers. But, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, but, uh, but, yeah, but, uh, thou shalt not, folks. <laughs> you know, I don't think that happened. In fact, I know that didn't happen. And apologies to any stammerers. I don't want any lawsuits coming against me. But I'm sure Porky Pig will be canceled sometime. There'll be some remote tribe in New Guinea who, who is the stammerites, and they'll feel their rights are being rejected, and Porky will be gone. Um, but I think Moses, to me, if you look at the word kabed, I think Moses probably was very deliberate in what he did, with the exception of when he killed the Egyptian. Um, now, I think he, he had learned to be slow to speak and uh, quick to hear. Um, he, he, he wanted to process things, I think. I know a lot of people like that. You know, they're, they're brilliant people, but you ask them to be spontaneous about anything and psh, forget it. They need 15 minutes to decide what they're going to say and what they're not going to say. They need papers in front of them. I'm not faulting anybody. But to be slow of speech using kabed doesn't necessarily mean that there was a speech impediment. Um, it was helpful for him to have Aaron there because when, you know, it's kind of like I, this is, I'm really extrapolating here. Um, but it's it's nice to have. I remember one time in a Star Trek episode, Spock was interrogating a, I think it was a Klingon leader, and Kirk was just standing. No, no, it was Khan. Spock was interrogating Khan, and Khan, after a couple minutes, he looked over at Kirk. He said, ah, you're a brilliant commander. You let your second in line uh, interrogate me while you assess what's going on. I really think that's more what Moses wanted because, again, he didn't seem to be, how can you be the lawgiver who writes the first, the first uh, five um, books of the Bible, uh, and, and I don't see any signs of stammering there. <laughs> I don't. I don't. But be that as it may, uh, the kabed for... Um, the kabed for the hardening of the heart for Pharaoh was that he was not 
first of all, he had a predilection not to go along with what God wanted. And he seized upon what he wanted, that initial scene with the snakes, to indicate. And he determined that he wasn't, he was not, he was not going to entertain any idea of following after God. And he allowed himself to become hardened. He slowed down that opportunity that God gave to partner. And I think that's the whole business here. And, and I think you see that same thing happening in our world today. You have people who uh, will observe something and instead of accepting what really happened, they create another reality. And they, they won't listen to the truth. They, they purposely don't react or ignore what's going on. But then on the other hand, in their false reality, anything, as long as it's by the right person or as long as it's going to favor their definitive philosophy, they'll immediately, they're quick, they're quick to, to obey. So it's kind of like the twisting of how you should respond to the glory, but responding to the glory of man in a similar way. The results are vastly different. But the point is that whenever you confront something that God's wanting to do and there's an atmosphere um, in the world right now that God's about to do something incredible, you see the, mo the enemy mobilizing this worldwide effort with the, with the God of this world to react and respond to the glory in a negative way and to create their own glory or their own version of glory. And subsequently, you have a blinding of the eyes and you have a hardening of the heart. We see that. We, we see that evidently. And one of the most famous verses, which many of you have already turned to, was 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, which we've referenced. But let's look at it. I'm going old school here. I'm rustling the leaves just so that some of you feel the comfort of that and um, turning in the good old King James version I'm getting there um, let's see second Corinthians chapter 4 where's Corinthians <laughs> I'm just kidding second Corinthians chapter 4 should have had those earmarked pastor yeah well um 4.4, 4, 2 Corinthians, in whom the God of this world has blinded, there's blinding, the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. And it's interesting um, that we, we find these same elements that we've just been talking about. Uh, indicated here when there's a discussion of um, 
of the glory and the God of this world. Don't you think that's interesting? I um, I am just stunned by how this relates, and um, I'm I'm just amazed that God <laughs> God's word so clearly describes what's going on here. Now, when we read in John 12, you see you see the hardening uh, up. And and it we get our word porous from that. So people in the world, it's something's porous. It's hard, yeah, but it also diffuses. It allows st- stuff to be processed. You know, it's it's kind of like uh, uh, water that you get up in the the mountains. It comes out of a rock, you know. It's gone through porous rock, and that process of filtering really does a good job on cleansing and clarifying the water. You know, if the hardening that's mentioned in John 12 and in other places doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't receiving anything. It's that they're processing what they're receiving. That is, that is the truth. And I, you know, I could give lots of illustrations over this past year, um, but I'm not. I think anybody that has any sense at all can see it. Um, some of the greatest things that God, miracles that God would do. Oh, well, I'll just mention one of them. For any Christian, any Christian, any believer in the Bible should agree to this one. Our alliance with the nation of Israel over this past year, um, with the, uh, and, and over the past few years, with the uh, moving of the uh, American embassy to Jerusalem and then these uh, Abrahamic covenant agreements, peace deals with the Ar- some of the Arab states, that's a Whatever it means for the end time is yet to come, but that is an amazing miracle. And and we, we see that and we say, thank God for it. But then there are other people whose hearts are hardened who are processing everything. You know, it's poro, poro. And they see this same thing and they don't want to go and say, that's a good thing. Instead, they say, Oh, look how racist Israel is. You know, they're, they're against the Palestinians. They're da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know. And then even to add to their porous viewpoint, the very people that one of them, the key, the key man actually being Jewish, suddenly all of this is done in favor of the Jewish nation, the state of Israel, was done by anti-Semites. And you think, what are you what have you been drinking? How can you even think that? How it just in this one instance, how can you even postulate such a nonsensical assessment? How can that be? Well, it's because their heart is hardened. It's poro. 
they're letting through some things, but it's been processed. And by the time it comes out of the process, it becomes something that is totally different than what actually happened. The blinding, on the other hand, is is a word, you know, tufos, it's um, tuflos. It can mean a number of things. And it's really, I thought about talking about the different ways that it was used throughout the Greek culture and how that language was formed. But I thought people are just going to get tired head to that. So the essence is that in some ways, it's, um, it's just that people don't see. And so they stumble around. And you, you have to connect the hardening and the blindness. Um, there was a very real use of this term in throughout antiquity <clears throat> as something that was a result of uh, people being conquered. And blindness was a result. Literal blindness was a result you know, the, the kings that were carted off to, um, to Babylon were blinded. You know, remember one of Saul's, King Saul's first issues was um, that uh, a neighboring opponent king said, you know, I'll come into agreement with you, but it's going to cost you all your right eyes. And righteous indignation came. So there, there was that idea. And I think Part of that's happening right now for these people that are poor, and they've got another agenda in the according to the God of this world. It's not enough that they become hardened, uh, but they also not only want to walk in blindness, but they want to vindictively make everybody submit to that blindness, even if it means blinding you. This, these are the principles of the God of this world. And it's a result of that glory. So, so what's it say? The glory of God. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And believe to me there would be synonymous with believe not would be hardening. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, the image of God, or what God has indicated should be manifested on the earth, should shine on them. And Paul says then, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Boy, you could go. I, I encourage you to meditate on that verse. There's so many nuggets of glorious truth there. But notice it shines out of darkness. You know, when you're confronted with darkness... And we sure are seeing it. And guess what, folks? Uh, it's not. Um, it's gonna. It's gonna get darker. <laughs> oh my goodness! It's gonna get darker. Uh, it grow, darkness upon the face of the earth, and gross darkness the people. But my light will shine upon you. When you're confronted with the darkness, 
you have to believe that the light of God from his glory and impacting that image, that coin strike, as it were, of what God wants to do, that that light will overwhelm darkness. Like with Pharaoh, it doesn't mean that those folks who are in the darkness or who are hardened or who are slow to believe are going to accept it. And Jesus, healing a man in the synagogue, in the other end of the synagogue, you have knuckleheads trying to plot to kill him. Jesus, debuting the his ministry as uh, son of God on earth, he's reading from Isaiah. And right after that, those folks there trying to throw him off a hill. You cannot expect for the light of the Lord to necessarily overwhelm and cause people whose hearts are hardened and who are blinded by their own choice to accept that. Now, some will. The Apostle Paul was blinded on the road that uh, we all know his story of being converted. And um, yet that blinding caused him to reevaluate his agenda and to reevaluate what he was actually seeing. I mean, he did see Stephen martyred. He did see that manifestation. He probably saw a lot of other things. But that blinding then led to him being free. Now, that, that will happen too, but not everybody is going to be willing to let that occur. And um, we just have to be aware of that. So there's one other verse that we want to look at, and it's found again, according to the writing of John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 11. And it, it has to do with how we respond. And this is a toughie. My goodness, I have grappled with this. And I don't mind telling you. And if any of you are being honest about it, I'm sure you have faced this same thing. 1 John 2.11 He that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, this goes both ways. On the one hand, you have people who preach love, a really strange version of love, who detest, who detest what you and I as saints believe in. They call us narcissistic. That's a big word but they don't realize that they're really the ones who are narcissistic. They, they call us dualists. They call us, oh, you just run down the list. Lots of ists from uh, accusing us of hating people of color, hating women, hating this, hating that. And they, they hate us, whether they say it or not. They say they love us. But they hate us and they spew all kinds of things. Why? Because of what Jesus said. When you're following me, 
If they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And subsequently, this is an indication of the blindness. We've had a lot of that in our world. A lot of hating over the past year. The past few years. Oh, I'd say probably the past 10 years. We've always had hatred in our country. Um, and a lot of it has just been shameful. But recently, it's been scoping up to really a hatred of what people believe God wants, if they believe in God. And um, we also have hatred based upon agendas. You see, if the truth is known, progressivism is, um, has nothing to do with progress. Uh, it really doesn't. The, the progressives can never take yes for an answer. There's always something more. And, you know, there's going to be, you know, you read in the book of Daniel about how the saints are overcome and then they overcome and then the saints are overcome. There's a pendulum. Um, there's going to be a backlash to all this nonsense. I don't know what's, how it's going to happen but we've got to be careful as saints not to be caught up in the tide of it either either way. We've got to somehow be in the midst of this, these machinations of the God of this world doing it knowledgeably and um, prayerfully and not engage in hatred. And how have I struggled with this? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm a human being just like you are. I mean, well, maybe more than some of you. <laughs> That's all, folks. Um, I hate to hear people rewrite history. And I know the victors write the history, but, you know, to see both sides of something and then and to have studied it meticulously, read volumes concerning it, and then see people just say, well, you know, that that's just not true. Here's really what's true. And they come up with some nonsense that is absolutely haywire. That makes me mad. It makes me angry. You know, some of the things, you know, you could talk about numbers of illustrations of this. Um, the 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 venom spewed against Abraham Lincoln in revisionist history, or any number of things against the founding fathers, um, any number of things. You know, I think one of the most ridiculous things I ever heard was those during the uprisings last year who defaced the monuments to the, uh, the 54th, uh, the, 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 what was called then the Colored Regiment in the Union Army, who depicted valor, who stood and depicted the nobility of African Americans, and to, through revisionist history, call them Uncle Toms or people that were just being used um, by the white man um, 
and to deface that monument is just nonsense. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Now, I, you know, I saw that in, in other ways. And I remember back in the 70s when the faith movement was really burgeoning, going on, and some of the extrapolative, extrapolations of viewpoints that generated out of that, some of them said that the Christian, if they just used their faith, would never suffer anything, never, never face any type of challenge. Because if you just knew how to use faith, you you never would face anything. I, I don't know how they justify the the overcomer's crown because if you use faith, there's really nothing to overcome, and so you don't get a crown. But I heard one guy preach. Uh, he was reading out of the epistles of Paul about the things Paul faced, and he said if the apostle Paul had really understood the principles of faith, he wouldn't have had to go through any of that. And I thought, you're reading the anointed scripture that was penned by the Apostle Paul. And you're totally ignoring dozens of scriptures that speak counter to what you're saying. But because you have processed everything through the porous nature of your limited viewpoint, you say something like that that regrettably, is the apex of revisionism. So people have a tendency to do that. You know, I've dealt with people in the past, when I was, when we were the general church and I had a lot of counseling sessions, which, you know, you want to help people, but I just have to admit that a lot of times counseling, a lot of times, counseling session is just giving people the opportunity to talk. I remember some people that would come into my office and they'd sit, I'd be there with them for an hour and 20 minutes and an hour and 15 minutes was them just talking. And I thought, you could have gone out in the backyard and sat your chair three feet from the fence post and it would have done you just as much good. I mean, I'm not Father, Father Ron. I'm not here to hear your confessional. If you want counsel, I would think you'd want to hear what I think about this. And, you know, but I remember counseling with people and sometimes it would be obvious what actually happened in a given scenario, but the two sides were drawn up and they depicted this business of processing in Puro and they then, they, regardless of what was there, they weren't going to abandon their position. They hardened to that. And what could have been a healing moment and a victorious moment became a galvanizing moment for their, their sometimes nefarious, but at best, miscreant. No, maybe that's not good, too, even though in some cases it was true. Their, their erroneous views. So we as Christians need to be very careful when we see this going on and we also see the darkness that's trying to to stop the flow of what God's glory is preparing to do, we need to remember who we are as saints. We need to remember that we are, we are to be partnering with God in his glory. 
we need to recognize that um, we need to recognize that we are responsible to depict the image of what God is wanting to do through His glory. And really, to me, that's uh, that's really a prophetic thing. You know, Moses, slow of tongue. You know, when he got to the end of his ministry of leading the people out of the wilderness, he forgot that. He saw those people that were the next generation, and he called them rebels, and they probably were. He called them a lot of things that were probably accurate descriptions because they had done the same process of hardening and blinding. They engaged in it that their forefathers did, and that Pharaoh did. And suddenly Moses unleashes on them. That stammering tongue broke its bounds and ran all through the pasture. And God said, you didn't do what I told you to do with the right hand because you didn't believe me, Amon. I'm sorry to tell you, Moses, but you are not going over into the promised land. Again, same with Elijah. We just had this big victory up on the mountain, and I can still feel that that venomous virgin of Baal, Jezebel, is launching evil raw against me. And it's just, why is this happening? I've had it with these people. God, you know, it just seems like I'm not accomplishing anything. You know, it's just as bad as it was. You know, nobody's standing with me. I've had it. And God says, wrap your mantle around your head. Process according to me. That's easier said than done. Preach is good, but in the face of God's glory, you're either going to resist process according to your particular viewpoint, no matter what it is, and you're going to become blinded lest you see what really God is going to do. Or you're going to process what God is saying. You're going to view things through that prism. You're not going to engage in tit for tat because, as Martin Luther King said, and I think he borrowed this from somebody else, but we'll just attribute it to King, uh, you know, eye for an eye makes everybody blind. And we've, we've got to process and be quick to hear and slow to speak. And we've got to be sensitive to what God's glory is really wanting to do. And his light will arise and we'll see a way through. We should not allow ourselves to be damned to darkness because of the idiocy of other people. And that's where I struggle. And I suspect that's where a lot of you struggle. I struggle on a national level, and I have to go before God. You know, do you think that Jesus, who was tempted in all points as we are, but yet without sin didn't apply this? Of course he did. Even at the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Who says something like that? Jesus did. Those people, what do you mean those people? 
The people down there that were beating him, that were cursing him, now some of them there were there just like people, they didn't have TV, they didn't have uh, the dark web, you know, it's like the Wild West when there was a hanging, people from miles around made it a picnic day, they went through the crowd selling things, you know, it was interesting because it was something they'd never seen. French Revolution, let's all go and watch the guillotine, that's amazing. Watch the way that blood squirts. We like seeing that. We've never seen anything like that. It's You can cheer that kind of thing. A lot of those people were there as onlookers. A lot of those people were just violent people who liked that lifestyle. A lot of them were just like Judas being the pawn of the enemy. But through all of that, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. The ones that were sneering at him, the ones that slapped him, the one that beat him, the ones that hammered the nails, the ones that did all of those things, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Somehow, we have to process so that we don't allow ourselves, even from a righteous perspective, to become blinded and walk in this darkness, letting the darkness affect us because we hate that kind of thing. And we don't understand how people could do this. Oh, it, it amps it up when you consider people that you walked with, that you shared uh, wonderful things with. David wrote about this. You know, when you were sick, I fasted, wore sackcloth, and we ate, we had fellowship together, and now, what are you doing? Oh, it, it's easy to become riled about that. But, Father, forgive. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus took that divine perspective because he had to. Because if you, if you say, like I just did, yeah, let's parse this out. A good percentage of these people are just here. They don't know what's going on. Some of these people are partnering with the demonic. They may not know what's going on, but they're sure enjoying it. Some of these people have done these things knowledgeably to preserve their own power base. And plus, they've hardened themselves to you, Father, and they've become like Pharaoh. They'll pay a price. See, we can process in that same, in some many ways, and we don't want to judge. We've been warned against that. But I would think that assessment at Calvary was Pretty accurate. But then Jesus says, forgive them. A carte blanche forgiveness. They don't know what they do. What was he talking about? His mission. That which he would soon say, it is finished. I commend my spirit to you. What God had sent him there to do was the apex. That was the only thing that mattered. And that's the essence of partnering with the glory of God.
Now, none of us are going to be giving ourselves as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. That happened once. That's it. And we're grateful for that, aren't we? But we have a part to play in the days that are coming and in the days we're in right now. And we have to be very careful that we understand when the glory is manifested, the byproducts are going to be either a hardening and a blindness or, in a positive sense, processing things through the prism of service to God prayerfully and obediently and make sure that we see what God wants us to see and follow that light. Sometimes that light's not going to be like the Apostle Paul light. Sometimes that light is going to be um, just enough, as the Scripture says, for our feet. And if we're looking all around cursing the darkness, we're probably not going to see that light. we got to be careful. If we engage in anger, which is easy to do, we probably won't see that light. I want to see the light. How about you? So when the glory comes, the God of this world is already working, and he's blinding the minds, the viewpoints of the people in this world, lest they see the light, unless they see Jesus, unless they see the image that God's wanting to perfect. That's what the God of this world is trying to do to stop the visitation of God's glory. That must be seen by us and understood. Because when you throw that into, this is an enemy tactic, it changes the way you respond and it changes your strategy. And then you can say with Jesus, I'm not going to cast dispersion there. I'm not going to become inflamed by what they're doing, even though it hurts me. They don't really know what's going on. Do we know what's going on? Do, do we know these principles? Do we know our place before the Heavenly Father? Do we know the role of the saints? Do we know that we are God's, according to the Scripture, one of God's chief strike forces of the end time that the enemy hates and detests, according to the Scripture? Do we know that? Well, let's be sure to act like it. And let's be wise to recognize what's going on. Do we like it? No. Do we appreciate um, those that are running this stuff up the flagpole and saluting it and then condemning those who don't? No, of course we don't. But we have to recognize that, first of all, our voices of opposition are not going to change them. They have their own facts. They have their own truths. 
You know, God is in everything. So, you know, we, we've, we've elected to adopt the Council of Balaam. We're just going to intermarry with everybody because they all have a point. <laughs> You're not going to change them. You know, the, the two significant blindings in the New Testament, Saul, who became Paul, was changed. Elamus the sorcerer, the son of Satan, probably was not changed. He should have been, but we don't have any indication that he was. So you're not going to, through your argument and um, or your, your well-crafted debating skills or your opinions on the Internet, going to change any of them. They're going to process everything you say, everything you, you declare. If it's against their paradigm or their philosophy, they're going to turn it. So it's best to be as wise as serpent and as hardness as a dove, recognizing this is a spiritual tactic, and keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the goal for the joy set before you. And I'm preaching to myself here. I don't want to miss the light because I vent my hatred toward what people are doing in response to the glory of God, the perversion of the Scripture, the, the pursuit of things that are not godly, the threat to take away the rights of American citizens, what it's doing to our country, on and on and on. I mean, we've lived this, haven't we? I mean, you could, you could flick just in the past week, in the past month, you can flick to one network news channel and you would think that absolutely nothing was done over this past year to combat COVID. Just mishandling nothing, nothing. Which is ridiculous. And you flick to another channel, and you hear the details of how Operation Warp Speed did this, and how it did that, and how it was unprecedented in the history of mankind. Same thing, different views, different processed declaration, and in the midst of it all, a wall of hatred between the two. Yeah, we see that. We're citizens of another land, and we can't get caught up in it, or we might just miss the light of the Lord. So the principle, again, of the glory of God is, is at stake here. The God of this world on one side, the God of all gods on the other, and we are going to choose this day who we will serve. Um, we see hardening and blinding through the Old Testament, and we see it through the New Testament. We need to be very careful that we process what God wants so that we see the light, and that we recognize that there will be many who process according to their own idioms and will be blinded, and they'll stumble about and accuse us who are walking in the light as their hated enemy. Which side are you on? And we have to be on the side of the Lord, knowing that the glory of God is coming. It's already here. We're about to be launched into uh, fields of harvest 
and service for our God that are unprecedented in the history of the, of the kingdom. We need to keep our eyes on that and um, be very careful not to be hardened and not to be blinded in the face of the glory of God. Well, that's a big chunk of meat for everybody. We've gone over time. That's okay. I won't charge anything less, anything more. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We will look forward to um, seeing you again this coming Sunday for those of you who, who uh, want to tune in. And uh, don't forget, next Wednesday, our virtual seminar begins. You can register online, saintsnetwork.net. And um, we're going to be broadcasting this. Let's be in prayer. You know, there's so many people that are watching these things from different parts of the world. I don't know who a lot of them are. The Spirit of the Lord is guiding them, and it's not about me, man, I tell you. And it's, it's not about any of us. It's about our message. I just pray that people will respond properly and come to know God. That's it. That, that's it. That's our agenda. So let's be in prayer and be part of it next week. Until then, God bless you. Goodbye.